afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold bad opinions of the enemy and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's most holy word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we're on a quest to understand, embrace, and confess Christian dogma, believing that when God speaks, he speaks in order that we might speak back to him, as St. Paul encourages us to hunger for the truth. But right now, before we actually get into that, I want to give you something special today. Well, right right on the ball, as it were. You've heard about the hurricane. Just heard the update from Houston and from the president and the mission facilitator down in the Texas district. We have on the line with us also a regular guest on one of my other shows, Sharper Iron, Pastor Dustin Beck. He's pastor, you might remember, from Trinity Lutheran Church in Corpus Christi. Uh, he and his family are driving back. Oh, and I just lost him. Well, uh, hopefully he'll give us a call back in just a moment. He, uh, he and his family are driving back from where they were evacuated to. There wasn't as much damage in Corpus Christi as uh, they had expected, but there is some, so we're hoping to hear from him in a moment. Uh, here, Hopefully here he is right here. Hello, Pastor Beck. Are you, th- are you there? Yeah. I, say, say hello again one more time. Okay, Pastor Fisk, can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Yes, absolutely. There's a little bit of a feedback loop, however. I mean, you might be on your car stereo. I go into car stereo? Nope. Okay. Nope. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> I, when I talk, it sounds bad. When you talk, it sounds good. So why don't you just go ahead and give us a little bit about what you know uh, so far from your perspective down there, and as if you would also, some words of encouragement to anyone who might be listening, wondering how could God let such things as this happen? Sure thing, absolutely. Well, um, so everyone in Corpus Christi area has, uh, has been kind of comparing this to the last big hurricane, which was uh, Hurricane Celia, 1970, and um, that was complete devastation uh, to the to Corpus Christi itself and to the surrounding areas. And this storm, uh, at least as far as the actual city of Corpus goes, um, this storm was uh, was a lot less serious for us. Um, Still, most of the uh, uh, city is without power, um, but they are working hard to restore that, and it should be back online. They're saying 90% of the city should have power by tomorrow night at 10. Um, as far as north, uh, further north up the coast, of course, we've uh, we've heard about all the things that are going on in Houston, the flooding and everything else. Um, some of the smaller communities, uh, Rockport, Port Lavaca, um, Port Aransas, Aransas Pass, Ingleside, uh, some of those areas were hit very hard. And so, of course, uh, we continue to remember those uh, individuals who are affected by it in our prayers. Um, but as far as encouragement goes, the question that's, uh, that's being asked, you know, is, is how can God allow this kind of a thing to happen? What, what do we do next? Um, how, how do we respond to this? And I think that when we start asking questions about how or why would God allow this to happen, uh, we really are peering in the places that God has not uh, allowed us to look and to um, to gaze, um, kind of the, hid- the hiddenness of God, uh, the fact that He hasn't revealed um, this is why uh, this happens. Of course, all bad things uh, that happen, uh, they revert back to the fact that this is a broken world. Uh, creation is um, that we are uh, at the same time we're victims of that. We're, we're People who are uh, broken, people living in a broken world. Um, the hope is that Christ is. Over. The hope is that uh, this life is all there is. The hope is that um, in Christ all things work together for good. And uh, we have been uh, just amazed uh, and reached out to by uh, a dozen or so different churches throughout the uh, synod, uh, places all around the country, really. Um, asking what can we do to help, where can we send money, where can we send uh, and what kinds of things uh, are, are in the class. This, this cleanup is going to take some time. Um, not specific We lost, we're losing you there again quite a bit, Pastor Beck. However, as you said, and we did hear this, the, the cleanup's going to take some time, and LCMS disaster response is already, I mean, I work in the building, and I'm watching them go crazy today, getting ready to try to deal with this. If you remember from Katrina, the fallout from that, we're still cleaning that up a decade later, Camp Restore, an LCMS outpost down there in the New Orleans area. So if you do want to know more information about how to get involved or how to how to partner with the LCMS disaster response, you can find that information at lcms.org. I'm sure they've already got stuff up there for you right now to go find. And if you can still hear me, Pastor Beck, I don't know if you can, uh, but uh, 
Certainly, our prayers go with you as you and your family return. Uh, we, we pray you find your home uh, in a very livable and safe condition, and we, we hope to hear from you again shortly in the next couple of days to, to get updates as well and, of course, get more of your good theological counsel, as we know you always give. So uh, thank you again, Pastor Beck. I'm going to go ahead and switch over and say hello to my other gentleman that I have waiting in the wings with me, Pastor Samuel Schulteis, he's pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach, California, and Pastor Sean Danzer, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota, both regular guests on the show. Uh, gentlemen, uh, hello, and welcome back to Cross Defense. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Good to be back with you and uh, with the listeners. And, and since we lost Pastor Beck there a little bit as well, w- would you go ahead? I'm going to throw that question at both of you guys and give you just a moment to respond. What what do we uh, what do we make of this? What, what do we say to someone as pastors when we hear someone say, "How could God let this happen?" Uh, Pastor Schultes, would you take a stab at that first? Yeah, I think one of the. I mean, Pastor Beck had a great, uh, a good response to that, and something I usually add or you know, say in addition to that is that. Um, we're often, we often want to know where is God in that kind of situation, you know, whether it's a, a natural disaster like this or something maybe more man-caused or, uh, you know, even if it's just a, a more personal family tra- tragedy with a, an illness or, you know, a home fire or something more closer to home that isn't as widespread. But, you know, we always ask that same question, well, where's God in all of this? And uh, it's really easy to uh, to look inward and get uh, frustrated or scared or uh, despair about that, it, you know, looking at the world around us, uh, especially when we watch and see all the pictures on the news, uh, you know, our, our reaction doesn't get much better from there either. There's a lot of a lot of pain and suffering, and uh, instead, uh, what I usually try to do is direct people back to the cross and say, "Look, this is this is where God is uh, for us. Uh, this is where He took all the pain and suffering and disease and disaster, and He took it on Himself." Uh, and then he gives us various vocations and callings to help and serve others. So, you know, it may not look like God is in places like Houston and uh, southern Texas and other places affected by uh, this hurricane right now. But at the same time, there's people, uh, some of whom are already flying there from St. Louis or other parts around the country that are there being his hands and feet. And, you know, Luther called those the masks of God, where he hides himself and serves a neighbor. So, uh, God is there in the neighbor and in our brothers and sisters in Christ serving and, uh, and helping others. And that's usually where I, one of the places I try to run to, too, is give give that question a little bit of a more personal uh, embodiment. Sometimes we like to abstract that kind of idea, but you know, give it give it a real concrete direction and, and show where God is actually helping and working us, you know, in addition to, of course, the, uh, the clear word and sacraments he gives us, too. Amen. Pastor Danzer? Yeah, you. Uh, it's the time when theodicy, they call it, that's the fancy, uh, I suppose, theological word, as we're going to talk about today. But uh, every Christian knows this just as judging God, right? Uh, uh, put him on trial for what he's doing wrong. That has at its heart our unwillingness to look at our own hearts and recognize that the, the evil and the wickedness is in us. I mean, this is why we need to... This is why repentance is necessary and why we need the Lord, who is a Savior. And uh, I love what Pastor Schulteis said, that that we can't look for God at work in all the places where he's actively not trying to be found. He's not trying to be found in the wind and the waves or uh, in any pagan kind of, you know, observe the world around you and find out what God's doing or figure out what he's doing in the world. No, the place where he wants to be revealed is in Jesus Christ. His will is that everyone would look to the Son and be saved. Uh, and, and find where we have a God who's right there in the midst of it. In times when the church doesn't know how to respond or what to do, which I'm sure so many people are thinking now, and every time there's some kind of disaster, human or not human, uh, the church has a long tradition of praying what's called the litany. It's a real simple prayer at the basis of it. It's just simply saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Some of us heard this this past weekend in church even. Uh, but the litany, as we have it in our church, always points us back to the cross, goes to Jesus and says, you know, by your incarnation, by your nativity, by your death on the cross, by your resurrection, help us, good Lord, have mercy upon us. And it includes in that all of the dramatic things that we notice, right, in tribulation, in war and bloodshed, in lightning and tempest like they're facing down south, that we look to the place where we know we can find the God who's merciful, And that's in Jesus Christ, as he's uh, revealed himself to us in Christ's death and resurrection for our salvation. One of the things that often goes forgotten in the midst of of conversations like this is how God is not doing what he could do, which is 
burn us all in fire. <laughs> what he really really should be doing is destroying us, and instead of doing that, he has let a very temperate version of sinful condition run amok among us, not killing us all immediately, in order that we might kind of, well, be brought to repentance and, and be saved. So we cannot see, as you guys said, that well, the, the hidden God at work behind the wind and the waves. What we see there is our sin, and what we, what we can see, though, is the fact that we still have food and water. The sun still shines on the wicked and the righteous alike. And as you pointed out so so magisterially, really, uh, that ultimately he does reveal himself in a different way for salvation in the face of, which now is the words of and the body and blood of, the, the supper of, our, our Lord Jesus uh, and his, well, the forgiveness of sins, which is given by him. So, you know, Pastor Danzer and, and Pastor uh, Pastor Schulteis, moving then into Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian dogmatics, it might seem cold comfort, I suppose, to some, but, you know, really, as we've talked about recently here in the last couple of episodes, if theology is not practical, it's not really knowledge of God. It, 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 we, can, we can create systems or ideas or philosophical structures or, or even pious platitudes that take the place of what we would call spirituality. We might call them theology. But if it's truly delivered to us by the Word of God, then there is nothing cold or calculating or merely scientific about it at all. There's nothing really philosophical about it at all. It is revealed truth for the sake of the conscience. And so even as we study Pieper's doctrine, Dogmatics, uh, pages 44 and 45 today. This, in theory at least, is anything but cold comfort in the midst of tragedy. It's, it's precisely where sh- we should go. And, and the question that he's wrestling with is, is kind of this very question at, at the root. That, that, that what is theology? Is it good for something? And if you kind of deal with the context, he's kind of said, well, if you're defining it the way the world defines it, no, it's not good for anything. It's a bunch of systems made up by men to explain stuff away. However, if if by this you mean what you guys have both just said, the revelation of Jesus Christ in time and space for the forgiveness of mankind's sins, it is a most useful thing even in our darkest hour. Any thoughts to open on with those guys, with those thoughts, guys? Well, I think uh, one thing that comes to mind is that uh, theology, like you said, is the most practical thing we have when we follow and stick with what uh, God has given to us in the scriptures, you know, his, his word, he's a, he's a God of words. You know, he creates those in creation with words by, by speaking and he, he upholds it by the word of his power. And finally he sends, you know, the word made flesh to us and he gives us, yeah, this rich theology, his teaching, his word, his life in human language that we can read it and understand it. And uh, yeah, these aren't abstract, you know, sort of, Distant things, but words are uh, words are, are how he communicates and reveals himself to us. And so it, yeah, even in you know small, normal, everyday uh, ups and downs and the bigger tragedies or traumatic events in life, it, it is God's word that brings us that that, that firm foundation, that stability. And I think of like the disciples uh, in some of the last gospel readings, at least from the the three year lectionary cycle that we're on at uh, Redeemer here. And, we have the wind and the waves, uh, but it's it's Jesus' word that calms uh, the disciples' fears, not uh, his power necessarily over the waves. So he he shows them that, but it's it's his word. And and yesterday we had the confession of Peter, where it's again Jesus' word and uh, his promise to sustain and keep the church, as well as Peter in that confession of faith and that gift of faith that he gives him and and us too. So uh, for me, that uh, I think is important to uh, to remember when we look at yeah theology and. We're dealing with words, not but not unimportant or inconsequential words, but words that have a lot of great weight and meaning because they're coming to us from the word of life. This has been kind of a drumbeat of all of Pieper's dogmatics, I feel, is, is he's always just saying, what is Christian dogmatics? What is Christianity? What's our theology? What's our doctrine? It's all just the scriptures. And the reason why he doesn't take that as a cop-out or a weakness is to say, if it's only the scriptures, it's actually God's words to us. Um, and, and that makes all the difference. Uh, of course, they're practical. Of course, they're useful. These, This is where life itself comes from. Absolutely. Um, what's the alternative, right? That's that's the problem. And I think people, if they would say, well, theology, that's useless at a time when people are dying, Um that's if you understand theology to be what Pieper's against here and what he's worried about, which is 
the constructions of human beings, the guesses, right? Most of, frankly, what comes in the papers when you ask that question that you asked of all three of these pastors, um, what's God doing? What's going on? And then they begin to guess or try and get behind the screen to God's mind. And uh, I mean, no offense, but I'm not that interested in what anybody thinks God's saying. But if God has a word to say, that's valuable. You got you got something there that's pretty important to point out. I remember when Katrina did hit, there was uh, at least one, if not several, of the more well-known or publicly present TV-style preachers out there that basically said this this was a result of the sinfulness of New Orleans and the movement of American culture toward various mm-hmm. sexual agendas. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm a fan of any of those particular agendas, you know, or, or think that they're good for our culture, but claiming that this was a one-to-one result. And and so be wary, listener. There is a good chance in one channel or another uh, over the next couple of weeks that you're going to have pastors out there, public pastors, trying to draw connections from this event to a particular thing. And while the particular thing they call out might indeed be a problem, what they're doing is what Pastor Danzer said earlier, they're, they're making what's called a theodicy. They're making up stuff and putting it in God's mouth. And and this is the, the, the crassest breaking of the second commandment uh, that we can face out there. So just have your ears tuned uh, to apologize for the truth and, and fight back against assumptions made in God's name that have not really been revealed by him. Uh, with this, I, one more kind of context question for the for the text itself, and this is that last week, Dr. Pieper defined theology in four different ways, and we actually added a fifth to it because the way he, de- he, he defined it, he kind of didn't allow the idea that there is a uh, a pagan theology or a false Christian theology. He wanted to reserve the word only for true things. And we kind of said, well, you know, yes, that's fine if we define it that way, but it's, it's fair enough to know that everybody's got some kind of knowledge of God. It just might be false. What we want to pursue is the true knowledge of God. Now, he's going to take us a step further than that and, and narrowly define the way he wants to talk about theology moving forward as specifically a kind of knowledge or even a habit and we'll we'll talk more about that uh, that uh, that a pastor must have for the sake of delivering theology as in knowledge of God uh, to to the people. So again, just with that much again, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on our adding that distinction of of theology as false theology versus true theology and, and so forth? Yeah, I was confused I think- about that too a little bit in my reading, even just with today's section. Surprise, surprise, the context helps. And I think if our if our readers want to go back to page 40 and read that beginning section or even go ahead into the next where he talks about the aptitude and the content and the source of theology, that's helpful because he's kind of cutting off the whole discussion by saying the only source of theology is the scriptures themselves, um, that these words about God um, are, are, are words that come from God in the scriptures. Uh, but I think you're right. Anytime we have words about God that don't come from the scriptures, those are human guesses, human speculations, human ideas, uh, just plain old lies, uh, all of these things. And, uh, and those are, as you mentioned before, talking about this theodicy and, and blaming particular sins for natural disasters. Those are lies about God. We think of a lie or his hatred as being a very deliberate, uh, animus thing. I'm very angry, and so I'm going to do this bad thing. Um, to, to use God's name in vain includes all of the careless things we just kind of toss out there, right? When the answer should be, I don't know. Instead, we want to provide some kind of an answer. And uh, if you want to call that a fifth category, kind of fake theology, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But uh you might just call it a sin against the second commandment. Right, right. Pastor Schultes? Yeah, it's a, I mean, yeah, I think that's a, a good sort of add-on. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like an, anti, an anti-theology. an anti It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, sin against the second commandment, and it uh, it either adds, the, the temptation, of course, is right, to add something to God's Word where He doesn't speak, or to uh, fill in the blank, uh, or to not say something where God is speaking, and uh, you know, to be silent where He does have a speak and uh yeah usually other uh, other theological systems or other uh ways of talking and speaking about god uh, will they'll, they'll inevitably do that and uh, i think it's good to compare that it's sort of like we did uh, i think several episodes ago where we talked about 
you know, man having, uh, or, or if you look at the, the way that religion works, there's really only two religions, and Pieper talks about that, the religion of, you know, the gospel and grace and Christ crucified, and then the religions of the law that attempt in some way to try to appease God or work or earn their way uh, into uh, favor with uh, some kind of divine being. It's all, it's all law-based. Uh, you know, and theology is going to cut that way, too. Uh, you know, it's going to have a system that's based primarily man-centered, and, and uh, I think his argument here is that it's primarily Christ-centered, and therefore, uh, yeah, to call it theology, it's going to come out of Scripture and, uh, and flow from there. Uh, but I, I like that category you guys added on there. I think that helps. Um, I think that helps folks, especially in such a, a day and age like ours where you get all sorts of competing worldviews and ideas and philosophies of religion uh, that even just in simple everyday pop culture life pop up. Uh, some people may notice it more than others, but it's it's there. Yeah. Right. There, there is a natural but false knowledge of God, you know, the God of the law only, and then there is a supernatural revealed knowledge of God, the God of grace, and uh, the one who dies on a cross. So going more narrow yet, right, page 44, third paragraph down, Dr. Pieper kind of sets up what he's going to talk about next, and he wants to make sure we understand. He's now going to define the term or use the term theology very, very specifically, not to talk about everything we were just talking about. He says, following the custom of the early Lutheran theologians, we shall here use the term theology to denote the divine knowledge necessary for the administration of the public ministry, which Wait a minute, did he just say theology is only for pastors? Well, if you're going to define it a very specific way, kind of, he, he is saying that. But he's not really saying that knowledge of God, revelation, knowledge of the Bible, knowledge of the confessions, that this is all only for pastors. What he's trying to understand is that, or to, to put forward, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, is that it is important for a pastor to have a particular professional knowledge of the scriptures, which it is not required of a Christian to have, right? So think of, and we talked about this a little bit last week, think of a plumber. You can do the plumbing in your own home. That's cool. You want to get good at it? Great. But it's not required as a homeowner that you know how to be a, a plumber. You know how to handle all those elements, right? But if you're a plumber, you need to know this. You need to have a practice of doing it. Or think maybe not a plumber, but a doctor, right? It, it, mm-hmm. it is possible to, to self-medicate uh, in, in healthy ways. I don't mean that in the way the term is used psychologically. But, you know, in, in healthy ways, you know, you, you got a cut, you put some Neosporin and a Band-Aid on it or what have you. But at the same time, it, it is not required of you to know that. However, if you're a doctor, you better be able to handle a, you know, a boo-boo, as it were. Um, so d- does that sound like where he's going here, guys? Or am I, am I putting too many words in his mouth before we start? I think that's I think that, right. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Sean. I think it's. I think you almost said it in a simpler way, and uh, I don't know. We have the we have the opposite. It almost seems like he's belaboring that point here. On the other hand, we find in our day it needs to be said more than ever because it's not necessarily presumed that the job of a pastor is to be a theologian at all. Uh, interesting thing in the ordination rite of our church body, uh, there was a small adjustment in the last hymnal. Uh, it, it it wasn't any of the usual things that get changed. It was they added something in, diligent in study or uh, uh, treatment of the Word of God or something like that. Um, hmm. It seems so, such a no-brainer, like, well, what else is he going to be do? Well, actually, there are a lot of church bodies that don't think theology is really what pastors are supposed to be doing. They're not supposed to be learning about you know, any kind of old terms or, or what. They certainly would be reading a book like this. They think their job is mostly kind of to be a maybe a second-rate counselor. And right. uh, I don't know. I think a counselor would be much more valuable or a theologian would be more valuable. But if you're only kind of neither or half of both, it's not as good. I'm going to jump in and then throw it back to you, Pastor Schulteis, but it reminds yeah. me of a, of a time where I was sitting in a meeting and I had mentioned, I won't say when or where, but I had mentioned reading as something I was doing in the week or even needing to do more of in the week. And and a, a, a member of a congregation said effectively, well, can't you read on your own time? And it, it, <laughs> it, really, it really demonstrated what you're saying there, Pastor Danzer, a, a lost understanding that, you know, pastors shouldn't just speak what they think. <laughs> That <laughs> they should actually be getting it from somewhere, ideally from the scriptures, and then from you know well confessed words uh, of of Christians in the past. Pastor Schulteis? yeah, I, one of my favorite questions I always like to ask people when I visit their homes is, uh, or even if I'm just talking with them, you know, what uh, what are you what have you been reading lately? Uh, and just to find out 
you know, what's going in? Because like the old computer saying used to go, garbage in, garbage out, uh, it works the same with positive things, too. If, if you're inputting and intaking uh, good substance, you know, if you're reading, uh, maybe you're reading paper or you're brushing up on the small or large catechism or something else, uh, you know, the reading the scriptures above all, uh, when that's going in, that's going to come out. But if nothing is going in, and that's part of the problem with, I think, uh, Sean was right about uh, much of the pastoral field today, uh, we don't see pastors intaking uh, good substance of theology, if they're even studying or reading theology at all. And then, uh, so we shouldn't be surprised when outcomes not so good stuff. You know, it, it, the counter to that, or the other side of that, too, is that when we study more, the more we study certain things, the, the better we are able to teach it. You know, and part of that is the aptitude thing that he, uh, Peeper here, is speaking about. You know, we had a we had an elder a while ago that was preparing a short little devotion in addition to our other regular devotions, and he said, I really got to know the chapter of uh, this book. It was on Christian vocation, and he had to know the chapter better than just reading it. He had to know it a little bit better to prepare it, and I thought that was a good observation on his part to recognize that that that's a lot of what goes into the pastor's work uh, during you know the week hours. You know, It's not just one day a week. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of things to get ready and prepare for, and you know, a lot of that is time spent in God's Word or books that are built on the foundation of God's Word. And, uh, you know, it's one reason why pastors, I think, make a good habit when they call it a study, you know, the pastor's study, instead of just an office, you know, to show what, what they're doing here in service to God's people and His Church. It's your weekly dose of worldview demolition, not to tear you down, but to build you up in Christ. Cross defense. Coming back. Stick around. Concord Matters is a show seeking agreement in Christian confession. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen, one of the hosts of Concord Matters, heard on Worldwide KFUO each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central and a repeat on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central. We take an in-depth look at the Book of Concord with some fine Lutheran theologians. Concord Matters, live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. I kept on trying, learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. We did it, so can you. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. On the next Law and Gospel, which is a Rumination Tuesday, with the help of Reverend Mark Smith, I, Pastor Tom Baker, will be examining the hymn, Hail Thou Once Despised Jesus. And what is important about this hymn, it tells us what Jesus did for you. Weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Worldwide KFUO is faithful to the Holy Scriptures. Our talk programs, music programs, and worship services focus on the message of salvation through Christ. Generations of families have confidence in KFUO to proclaim a clear, unwavering message of Christ crucified for sins. Faithful, scriptural, Lutheran. We are Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Here, listen to Cross Defense, where old school theologians never stop rocking on because the truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Talking with Pastor Samuel Schulteis and Pastor Sean Danzer about the aptitude of theology, particularly as it applies to the requirement to be a man who serves in the office of the Holy Ministry. We're, we're picking up on page 44, the last paragraph, last full paragraph. I guess it goes on on the next page. On page 44 of Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, he has just kind of demonstrated or established that, look, we're going to talk about theology, but we're not talking about all the different ways we could define the term. We're talking about the term as it applies to the professional theologian, which more than a scholar really is what a pastor should be. He then says, then theology then taken subjectively or concretely, which I'm not sure I understand how those two words 
fit together, but maybe you guys can help me on that. Uh, theology, then, is the aptitude, he says, or the habitus in Latin, wrought by the Holy Ghost in a Christian to perform the functions of the pastoral office. That is, to teach the Word of God, the Word of Scripture, in all its purity, both publicly and privately, to refute all false doctrine, and thus to lead sinners to faith in Christ and to salvation. Theology taken objectively as doctrine is the Christian doctrine in its correct oral and written presentation by the public minister of the church. Um, now, I mean, is this, is this, uh, now I'm losing the term, priestcraft? Is this some form of uh, higher clergyism? Or what's going on here, guys? It's, it's more than I think, I think we've been, quite tainted by all of the forces that Pieper is trying to oppose here, a very modern understanding that would essentially say the task of theology is an ology like any other. And it's, you know, it's kind of something you study, you learn over time, but it's entirely using your human faculties. And of course, there is no supernatural, there's nothing to do with faith, right? And and that's really, the theologians that Pieper's fighting in his day are those who are working with the Bible all the time, but themselves are maybe not even believing Christians. Uh, maybe that's hard for our members to understand. I mean, they assume, thankfully, that their pastors are Christians, uh, and that's a that'd be great if they were. <laughs> they ought to be. Um, but but he's trying to say that the Holy Spirit is involved in this in a way that's not quantifiable, just in like, well, he did learn Greek at the seminary for a year or something, or he did read a book from start to finish and, and mastered the content uh, in a human way, as anybody else could do. But this is actually that the Holy Spirit is working with this um, so that he can be effective, right? I think it's actually helpful to us to understand it when he adds in all the, for examples, right, or all of the... Um, in the ways in which the pastoral office is doing these functions, right? And then we see, well, these are things that only God can do, right? Only God can actually lead sinners to faith in Christ and to salvation. This is this is not a mere human work. Um, and maybe that's the clearest one for us to understand it in a way that's not some kind of magical priestcraft like you mentioned. Yeah, I think it gives a good, uh, kind of like we were talking about before at the beginning, it, it connects the uh, sort of the theoretical and the practical parts of theology uh, together. It shows that God's word, in fact, does have real practical application. You know, it, this is what this is what it's all about: ha- having God's word speak to different issues that come up, right, public or private. You know, false doctrine or uh, pure doctrine is being taught or preached, and uh, and the goal, of course, the end of all this is uh, salvation in Christ, which, as Sean uh, so greatly said, is only the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, to, to miss that part of it is really part of our, our fallen uh, old Adam uh, over and over and over again. So one of the things that kind of jumped out to me, I got, I got two I want to follow up on for, from the text here. One of them is the way he kind of describes the purpose of the pastoral office itself, which is to teach the Word of God. Okay, no problem there. We all say that, right? The, the Word of Scripture. Okay, well now all LCMS Lutherans say that, at least the good the good ones do, right? Of course, we're going to teach the Scripture. And then he says in all his purity, publicly and privately, okay, that's fine. I thought it was mostly on Sunday morning from the pulpit, but if he's got to say something to me at the coffee hour, I guess I could listen to that. And, and then you have this other one, though, to refute doctrine, to refute false doctrine. So the pastor's job is to call out lies for what they are publicly and privately, and that Pieper actually considers this part of leading sinners to mm-hmm. faith and salvation. Mm-hmm. I mean, do I don't think we pay anybody to do that. That's not why we hired him. What do you yeah, think? you're right. Uh, a lot of people don't <laughs> probably don't think of that as uh, the, the first thing that jumps to their mind about what the pastor's calling uh, is, uh, what his vocation is in the scriptures. But uh, Jesus tells them about tells the and warns the disciples about this continually, and then Paul does it repeatedly throughout the pastoral epistles as well that uh, they should keep watch of their doctrine and follow the pattern of sound words and you know, many other scripture passages like that. Uh, beware of you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing kind of idea. And you can only do that if your pastor is trained and uh, continually in the Word of God so that he can sniff out those lies and, you know, uh, be a good uh, wolf hunter <laughs> around the, in the world around our, our sheep, the, the people under our care. 
help and, us with the i mean the question that kind of uh i think is behind this is can you have a pastor who's doing true theology if he himself does not believe hmm. is not a faithful man well and like officially we say yes right because of the the donatist controversy we have to uh, right. this is an early church controversy where basically mm-hmm. your salvation would be made to rest upon the righteousness of your pastor and well goodness gracious nobody wants that <laughs> um, but at the same time there I mean at what point does a man who doesn't believe something lose the capability to say it uh, or or the ability to follow through on it and I don't think this is a, a clear black and white I think this is a bit of a gray a great issue, but I, theology and practice, if we're going to say that they are tied together, then we also have to believe that what a man believes has an effect on what he preaches. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and the, and the competency, is, uh, and we're going to get to the Bible passage really quick, which is helpful, but um, the competency of a pastor is not really measured or achieved in simply his academic prowess. Uh, his academic oh, achievements, good. yeah, and, uh, and and it's hard because as pastors we want to point to that maybe selfishly sometimes, right? I mean, it's often been said that pastors go to as much school as a doctor would, and of course they make a pittance of the pay. Well, they ought to; they have the greatest job in the world, I guess. But um, <laughs> you know, we've and and especially us, I think, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we need to realize and recognize and appreciate that we have pastors who are trained, I, I think we could just say it, I think better than almost yeah. every other church. Because they're not distracted by so many things. They're talking about God's Word. I mean, they do know all these languages. They're smart people on top of being very well-trained and very compassionate and, and like Pastor Schultz is saying, focused on applying rightly this Word of God. Uh, and yet at the same time, that which is a wonderful gift that we have, is not the essence. It does, isn't what makes a pastor, and it isn't what makes him effective. And, uh, and it, it, in fact, is meaningless if the Holy Spirit is not at work to do this habitus, this competency, this aptitude. Yeah, a, dipl- yeah. a diploma in four years in a desk does not a preacher make. Pastor Schultz? Right. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think that's a, a great reminder for both pastors so that we are uh, you know, humble in our task and, and people so that they don't uh, put their faith in their pastor rather than in the Christ uh, crucified and risen that the pastor is proclaiming, you know, because so often when we put our faith and trust in humans, uh, even pastors, <laughs> uh, we're going to be left, you know, uh, left in despair as well. I think the other thing is that that's a comforting thing, at least for myself as as pastor, is that it, I'll, I go about doing the work. And yes, uh, there's clear commands in Scripture and in the ordination rite and all of the doctrine books to to guide me in doing that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not my work that's doing the work uh, that God has called me to do. It's it's the Holy Spirit calling, gathering, enlightening, sanctifying. You know, it's the gospel that's going out and coming back and not returning void like God promises. It's you know, it's God that's giving the growth. We're just watering, like Paul says. Yeah, and that for me, that's a very liberating, freeing thing, because otherwise it would be you know, I mean, it's already overwhelming as it is, but <laughs> that would make it all the much more uh, of a daunting task, I think. Yes, yeah, uh, if it were up to us in some even some small degree, you know. But thank God it's not. It's it's His work, His doing, His church, and uh, you know we are but humble servants. It says Saint Paul says, "Who is sufficient for these things?" And his answer yeah. is, "Well, not me, <laughs> right?" Yep, uh, so exactly. <laughs> uh, one more thought that I'm just going to kind of uh, rush past and then move us back into the the Bible verses people quotes. But feel free to swing around and hit it again if you want to. And this is the the next sentence is uh, right after he says that. Uh, the, the pastor's role is these things, which includes calling people to repentance. He then effectively says that the only thing the pastor should ever preach from the pulpit is theology. Right? Th- there is nothing else, finally, that should be said. And, and this doesn't mean you can't ever have a story in the pulpit, but that that story's real purpose is not to avoid theology, but to get to it. And insofar as it were covering it or, or decreasing the, the knowledge of Scripture— it's it's actually working against it. And so I think that's pretty important, too, that a pastor's mouth is there to speak words of God. That's what he's sent to do. Now, he says both of these definitions are contained in substance in Scripture. We're on page 45 in the first paragraph kind of chunk.
chunk there. The subjective concept of theology is found in 2 Corinthians 3, 5 to 6. Oh, I get why he said that earlier. So he has two definitions, subjective and concretely. And the subjective is this, 2 Corinthians 3, 5 to 6, our sufficiency, that is this habitus idea, the ability of the pastor to preach so that people believe it, is of God who has also made us able to, uh, able ministers of a New Testament. So you got that on the one hand. Then you have the objective capacity, he says, or the objective concept, for example. This is theology as substance to be preached. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words which you have heard from me. I love, whenever we see that word translated sound, it means healthy. So literally healthy words which you've heard from me. Uh, more on these definitions in the following chapter. So he's going to get into this more as we go, but he wanted to make sure we have these two texts. He's not just making up this definition of theology. He's not even making up this idea that the pastor has to have a habit, a, a what do you call it, a persona? That's really going too far. Uh, an effect of the Holy Spirit upon him? That's about right. Uh, which would press him into being a preacher, whereas there's also the substance he has to preach, which belongs rightly to all Christians, and, and they all have access to that. Thoughts? So on that word on that word habit, if we have time, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we're familiar with this as Lutherans, I think, especially the theologians listening, because this is the word that the Roman Catholic Church uses for grace. Grace is a habitual gift. Uh, hmm. It's this thing that is given by God. It's like a substance almost or a present. Uh, but it has a power, and it is a power that works together with your activity to to increase it, to merit more of it, and then finally you're full of grace and uh, and and have salvation through that. Are justified at the end of the process. We reject all that. That's cooperating with God for your salvation. But it is the same word that Peeper's using here for what the pastor does. And I think this is definitely like you said before, sitting on a fence or or straddling a fence here between two difficult things, and they're very difficult as a pastor. One, recognizing that our sufficiency is from Christ. This is not my doing. I am not going to improve upon the Word of God or infuse it with any of my own qualities that will make it better. And yet at the same time, it is not an aptitude where you sit back and wait for wait to be haunted by the Holy Ghost, right, until suddenly you start speaking words, you know, uh, magically out of your mouth or something. Um Pastors need to study. It's not wrong to add that into the ordin- uh, ordination rite, um, and you don't see this, right? Look at the look at Acts. Uh, Acts chapter six is important, right? The pastors need to make sure that those guys are there to help serve the tables, or maybe even serve the Lord's supper, because they need to devote themselves to being ministers of the Word of God. And what does that mean? It means they're pulling out the old scrolls, they're studying the Hebrew, they're doing the Old Testament, and looking at it and learning their Bible. They're reading on oh, not on their own time either. Uh, and that's essential to what they're doing. And, and and now, is this a works righteousness that they're working together with God to accomplish something for him? No, and I think that's what this word sufficiency, aptitude, habitus is trying to straddle, um, that it's not devoid of human activities, but that it's 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 finally worked and began and, and has its source from the Holy Spirit's supernatural working, which is by faith, which is by, um, I mean, it's his word, right? There's a there's a first article edge to this too. If we take First Timothy three and, and Titus, I believe is it one or two? I always forget. Uh, if we if we take those mandates for the pastoral office seriously, particularly this this phrase Paul uses that he must be apt to teach, he says. Uh, it doesn't mean he has a degree in education. It means that there's something about the man that makes him competent to convey information. And this is not um, this is not a spiritual gift. Uh, this is not the Holy Spirit's chrism falling upon the individual. It's just a matter of his person, his particular gifts, and the way that one man might be really good at putting a puzzle together, another man's really good at communicating words. And I, I think it's important to acknowledge that what what peepers are basically getting at here is that that does matter. This is kind of the purpose of seminary. I mean, it's not just to give you all the right information. It's actually to uh, to funnel you through a process that discerns whether or not you are apt to teach. Now, that can that's kind of a Pandora's box there. So I'm just going to say, Pastor Schultz, what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> well, that, I mean, I, I agree. I think that is part of that's part of the seminary education. I think there's a there's a degree to which, you know, while the, while the man doesn't make the message uh, or, you know, make it any stronger or more powerful by anything he does or doesn't do, you know, we as pastors can certainly get in the way of that by, uh, by 
it, even just subjective things that we do. So it's good to be careful, cognizant of those. I mean, it's part of the seminary training is to, and it's, it's four years, it's rather rigorous in, in compares to other uh, professions and things like that. So it, uh, it has a way of smoothing out some of those rough edges. And I mean, I, I'm very thankful for my vicarage congregation uh, who helped you know, teach me as much as, uh, in some respects, as uh, some of the classes I took on campus at seminary, too, because there was a way that they, uh, you know, encouraged and uh, would also bring up some of those places where I was insufficient so that, uh, uh, you know, to make a better theologian out of us. Um, I think this is how God works at the Church. You know, it, it's rather ordinary. It's, it's through means. You know, it's through other people. It's through a, a vicarage supervisor or through uh, individuals in a congregation, through a seminary professor, through other uh, you know, fellow pastors or conversations, you know, even like, uh, like these, that, uh, that do help and, and do work at that uh, aptitude part of it. And, and it's something that we work on constantly, too. You know? There's, the pastor is not done studying the day that he leaves seminary, uh, heaven forbid. You know, the, we, we should keep studying that. Uh, our studies should be places of learning, reading, marking, inwardly digesting God's Word, so that when we go out, uh, to visit shut-ins or hospitals or to do a funeral or uh, just a regular Sunday morning services and uh, Bible classes that we are, in fact, prepared and uh, and have God's Word uh, and His rich treasures to give out instead of our own. Is, <laughs> isn't that... Nearly is, as treacherous. <laughs> isn't that interesting that, that an aptness to teach is so directly connected to an aptness to learn, and in that sense, it's not static, right? So it's not an ability of the man that he just has magically that stays there. It's like a muscle that you, you can actually bend the muscle, but that muscle needs to be c- continually used and trained in order to do its job. Uh, jumping yeah. into I mean, how our... do you want to be a better cyclist? You know, I, I, I ride my bike a lot, so it's like if I want to be a better cyclist, I don't get better by uh, sitting on my couch. You know, I, I get better by riding more. So I, I wish it worked uh, the other way. I really do. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump us into this last paragraph here on page 45 and then give you guys each a chance to, to hit it before we're out of time here. So he, And I think this is really interesting. So then he like he's given us these two versions, and now he says that one of them really is more important than the other. And I, I like, in my own head, it's like backwards. So maybe I'm, I, I need to learn something here. Obviously, he says, the first and proper meaning of the term theology is, he doesn't say doctrine, theology in the subjective sense, the aptitude. Only in its secondary derived meaning does it denote the objective theology, the doctrine. For as Walther says, quote, theology must first be in the soul of a man before he can teach it, present it in speech and writing. Now, I, I know he's not saying that theology comes from within us. I mean, there's just no way that that's where he's starting us off. The doctrine that he's referring to here has to be the doctrine the man preaches, which he has originally heard because faith comes by hearing. Uh, is that correct, Pastor Danzer? Absolutely. I, I was confused by the same thing. I was even mentioning it to you guys earlier. Um, and then I read, uh, if our if our readers want to cheat and go ahead a little bit, they can find in the next section on aptitude where he very clearly rehearses again that the source of this is nothing else than the Word of God. When we're talking about doctrine, we're talking about what the Scriptures say, nothing else, no added human elements or anything in our hearts. Um, I, I think what he's getting at is is, is something Luther coined, and, and our re, our listeners may have heard it before, that his method of what makes a theologian is mm-hmm. is prayer and meditation on God's word and uh, to, uh, affliction, spiritual affliction that drives us back to Christ. And the first part is the one that a lot of people are confused about. They think, well, first I should read my Bible, and then I should pray on the basis of it, right? Uh, that's how I like to pray. I like to use the Psalms. But uh, his point is, is a little... It's that, look, you don't come to the Bible as if, I'm going to read this book, and maybe I'll read Moby Dick later, too. It's, no, um, the Holy Spirit is going to have to open this, or this is going to mean nothing to you. Your humanity, your eyes, and everything you have is going to get in the way of this, because your heart is going to get in the way of this. The Holy Spirit is going to have to do a supernatural thing, as he always does. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing itself comes by the Word of God, by the Word of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit at work. Um so it's his way of saying, I think that um, what what comes primary is that a man himself is a Christian, 
and then what follows mm-hmm. from that is he as a Christian also is able to confess uh, what he has back and uh, and make use of this pattern of sound words like Paul mentioned. That's really well said. Pastor Schulteis? Yep. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that was a uh, very good explanation of that. I think the other, and I don't know if I mentioned it here before, or recently I was talking with somebody about this uh, in one of our, I think, adult Bible classes here at church that, uh, you know, Pastors, uh, in, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, parents are like this too. Where uh, you know, when you're flying on the airplane, you have to. You know, they always tell you if there's an emergency and the oxygen and cabin pressure is lost, you know, take the oxygen mask and put it on yourself first, and then you're able to help the other person next to you better uh, because you're able to breathe. And uh, you know, Christian theology, doctrine, God's word, uh, the treasures of the scriptures are, are like that too. If the pastor himself is not in taking that oxygen mask, that life-giving, breathing word of God's spirit. Uh, how is he himself going to administer and care uh, for others, you know, next to him in uh, in his parish, uh, you know, in the pew, uh, wherever he may find himself? Um, I mean, that that works on on many different levels, but uh, I think that's part of what Peter's driving at here. Yeah, not again, not the not the internal squishy subjectiveness that we're used to talking about these days, but really the uh, really again that bringing God's people uh, to God's word and bringing His word to bear on whatever situation it may be, um, in, in a larger or smaller context, uh, public or private, like he mentions, um, that it's really, uh, it, again, it comes from the outside, but it comes comes to us in, in rather personal ways, um, you know, through his word, uh, through his ordinary means. As Pastor Samuel Schultz, and you've also heard this hour, Pastor Sean Danzer, two men who are most definitely uh, apt to teach the theology of the Holy Scriptures for the sake of you hearing law and gospel and being pointed to Christ as your Savior. Gentlemen, uh, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Gladly. And by way of reminder, I should have said this before, Pastor Schultz serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach, California, and Pastor Sean Danzer serves at two parishes up there in North Dakota, Trinity Great Bend and Peace in Barney. Worldview demolition means having the false theology that you're born with, the false knowledge of God that you inherit from Adam. We call it original sin. We call it concupiscence. We call it lies. It is always works righteousness, and it is always curved inward on you. Worldview demolition is knocking that down all the way to the ground, leaving nothing left. There's none of you left there so that... With all of those bad opinions that form the strongholds of our enemy, the mighty shop of God's word can be established not just on the foundation that's you, no, 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 but as the foundation on which you hope to stand in the day of judgment. That foundation, that true theology, is faith in Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done. And to be sure, if that is going to be preached in all of its purity and beauty, to make you get a tear in your eye on Sunday morning, well, then it kind of helps if the man believes it. And so what Dr. Pieper is really getting at here is Pastor Danzer said it so well. He is driving at that if we're going to train men to be so-called theologians, that is, those who study God's word for the sake of making it known publicly from pulpits across the land, it is important that they believe it, that they find in it their own salvation, that they find in it the salve for their conscience, and so they are thereby able to apply that salve to others as well. This is, in one sense, what we try to do every week here on Cross Defense, because it's not only something that a pastor can have, it is something a pastor must have, but it is also something that thereby belongs to everybody. The pastor has the gift of his faith, rightly given in the words of doctrine, healthy, sound pattern of words tested by time and the scriptures themselves in order to give them to you, that you might know with full assurance what you believe and why you believe it, that you might defend your faith against the enemy's assaults, all those flaming darts that so often come your way in this dark and evil age, whether it be in the midst of persecution, danger, hardship, hardship, or sword, or hitting the wrong button at the end of your show. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. This is where old school theologians never stop rocking on. We'll catch you next week.